Hello, Collateral Gaming listeners. Chazzle Dazzle here from the Trial by Air Variety Show podcast. I just wanted to take a few seconds to invite you guys over to what we do. No, it's not video games, but we do invite really awesome and unique bands from all over the world. We dig deep into their souls and find really cool stories to tell you, and there's tons of music every week, so subscribe to us wherever you subscribe to your podcast. We look forward to having you. I'm Ashley Chancellor. I'm Zachary Gio. And I'm Megan Gomez. This is Collateral Gaming. Welcome to Season 3 of Collateral Gaming, the only video game podcast that matters, where we focus on good games, bad games, and everything else in between in the world of gaming. We are podcasting straight from somewhere in South Texas, and yes, my friends, we are a 420-friendly podcast, so whatever you have, smoke it if you've got it. And guys, it is officially like i said before season three this is our season premiere i'm so stoked yeah man we got some really good stuff to talk about today my second season with the podcast i'm so excited welcome back everybody hell yeah um it, we really didn't even take a break from season two I mean, we, we were kind of behind on things so we're just going from one thing right to another but it's okay we're here for it we have so many great games that we're going to talk about this season um we all got a chance to go ahead and, and pick up a couple games in advance and, um, you know, last season we, we managed to pick up some, some new cast members along the way. Yay! Yeah, man. It's good, to, good to be here. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I'm waiting for another female, but I'm glad to be a female in the podcast world. And I'm glad to be talking about gaming. I'm so excited for this season. Well, it's okay. Just having a female on our podcast will bring our views up. <laughs> it's female? Burr. <laughs> Girls play games? What? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was thinking before before this whole like pandemic started, I was like, man, we really need to take like some promo shots with Megan in the shot so people want to like see the podcast. <laughs> a girl? <laughs> I cosplay too. If you need me to wear a cosplay, I'll wear a cosplay. I don't give a shit. <laughs> hey. Yeah, I'm gonna be Kratos for Halloween next year if I can. Oh fuck yeah, dude. That is badass. I'm hoping that um, I can pull it off because I'll get the body paint, I'll get the fake tattoos, and I'll get the axe, but I just got to get the body right. <laughs> oh, you got to do the, bod- the bald cap too because remember, he's bald. Oh, no, I'll shave my head. <laughs> I'll shave my head because I can do the beard. I just got to yeah. I gotta lose the, the noggin fur. Boy. Cool. As it is, I kind of want to be um, Freya. From uh, from God of War, just because like she has long dark brown hair like yeah, and I can do all the braids and you know it's it's literally the same length like we have the same hair so I've been thinking about it for a while. That would be awesome. That would be sick actually. That would be oh my sick. goodness. I don't even know what I what I want to do. Um, someone with long hair and a beard. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of. I could do Fat Thor. I've been I've been talking about it ever since Endgame came out, but I kind of figured everybody was doing Fat Thor, but I actually look like Fat Thor, okay? Also, um, I guess that's that's a little bit of a news segment. I guess a lot of the cons are canceling. I know me personally, like I, I go to, you know, cons every year. Um, I, I really eventually want to get to a place where, you know, the podcast is actually present at a booth at a con because I feel like that's a lot of good exposure. Um, you know, plus you get to meet everybody that listens to you, so that's dope. 
Um, but yeah, that, that's yeah. It's a little yeah. bit of a sad thing. Is a bunch of them got canceled this year, so I'm sad. Wah, wah. We could um, definitely do like a God of War squad, though. Like we just have to kidnap a little 13 year old boy and force him to be a trace. <laughs> <but that's, laughs> I don't know who would Alan be. I don't even know. I don't even know. Boy. We could be. <laughs> boy. Boy. Um. <laughs> We're back to last season. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if anybody remembers that episode, but we couldn't stop saying it, especially in the group chat. We couldn't. It was great. Um, yeah. Speaking of which, I mean, we had a we had a really awesome season two. You know, we we did our season finale, and we got to kind of you know, have a retrospective on season two already. What Dakota and I did, but um, what did what did you think about uh, what were some of your favorite episodes last season, Megan? Oh God, um, definitely God of War. You know, speaking on that, just because you know I've been a Kratos fan since the beginning. You know, he's he's such an epic and not trying to you know stereotype this but he's such a beautiful character in in his darkness and his you know depth um i've always loved his mm-hmm. story and his archetype um also i did really really love the the one that we did on on lara croft because you know i i love lara croft i think you know especially the most recent movie that came out tying to it you know very very big you know women empowerment you know not trying to be all you know like oh, da, da, but you know I, I think it's great that you know they're creating a, a you know a, t- a type of gaming that you know is geared towards women you know as well let's see dang I-, I love the spyro one just because you know we did get to delve a little bit into you know childhood bringing back those memories you know of playing on the old old platforms and stuff and um yeah i mean there's so many you know like moments in the season that i was just so excited about you know just even being able to be on the podcast for me personally was you know so awesome um i i don't even know what would be like my absolute favorite if i'm if i'm being completely honest with you i have no idea i don't blame you we had a lot of great games and y'all started out on uh you, you and alan had started out on uh star wars uh fallen order that was awesome yes that was fun for me especially you know i hadn't really watched too much of the series or been too involved and that was right around you know the first season of the mandalorian so it was just like bringing a lot of this in for me and my dad is older um but you know he he was so invested in the star wars series when he was younger so it's cool to be able to like bring that into the next generation and like you know be able to talk about something that's still so massive it's so so cool i'm i'm so excited i'm so blessed that i get to do another season because i'm so excited about the podcast i love talking about the podcast fuck yeah me too and, and zach i mean you've been the same way i mean you right i mean I, i've heard you like you and i were, we're, we're always talking about it and you you're always like i'm so excited oh dude every single time i get ready to record with you guys i get I'm like a little kid at Christmas opening up his presents. I'm like, oh, we get to do this. And I mean, the first episode you and I did was diving into the Metroid Prime trilogy, which is one of my favorite trilogies of all time. Like Metroid is one of my favorite series. I decided to do that one. It was fantastic. And I mean, Ash, it was it wasn't just like it was the Facebook post that you made that made me really excited to just talk to you about this. And it led to us recording our first episode, which led to me being on the podcast with you. And it is just these little things that just like connect the dots in life that kind of bring us together to talk about these things are amazing. I mean, just last week we dove into our top five items in the Zelda series and we yeah. ripped into Skyward Sword. We had hours of content to talk about. And yeah. In just a limited amount of time. Dude. Spectacular. I'm thrilled to continue the journey with you guys this has been a blast i can't wait to build my pc soon so i'll have like a really awesome setup and a much better mic <laughs> <laughs> i'm on a low call headset as well but 
also, uh, you know, uh, speaking on Alan's behalf, you know, he's he's not going to be on this this episode. He's he wasn't uh, able to play Majora's Mask as a child, unfortunately. He only did stuff on the SNES. Oh. He got to play Ocarina of Time, um, but that's really all the the all the Zelda knowledge that he has. Um, but uh, Alan's really excited for season three, guys. He's so stoked. Um, he he's always been a social gamer, so I think this is something new for him. Um, it's something fun, you know, to kind of spice up the the new marriage a little bit. Is that is get yeah get to dive into stuff like this. Um, and he's he's really excited for season three. Um, we're talking about building a gaming PC as well because we really want to stream for you guys. Um, I've heard that you know, especially from Ash, that my commentary is really really funny whenever I play because I just get so into it that I just start. <laughs> so I've, we're really really excited to you know hopefully be getting into streaming soon, getting into you know you know golf seeing us in person instead of just hearing our dumbass voices. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know. No Oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead, bro. There's no other way to do it when you're streaming and when you're diving into video games. There's nothing else to do but to give it your all, to fully enjoy it to the to the best you can, you know. And this, I, I'm excited to start doing that as well. I just need a better internet setup, and of course, to build my computer. And then it's it's bombs away. We're gonna get started. Bombs away. Doing a whole setup, you know, having a whole room. You know, Alan and I are looking into into buying a house in the future. Um, so we want to have, you know, a setup for that definitely. And also, I mean, Alan is so hilarious when he's social gaming guys. Like, I don't think I can, I can talk about this enough. Like he just starts randomly screaming and making the most <laughs> random noises you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> or he's just like, my grave. And he's just like crying and like laughing at himself. And it's the most hilarious thing. Like I want our podcast subscribers to see this because it's friggin' hilarious. Like I've never seen anything like it in my life. No, seriously guys. Yeah. Y'all really need to get set up, uh, get set up with streaming or maybe even some of our Patreon exclusive let's plays. Um, cause that's perfect for social gaming and I'll, and I'll extend another branch too is, um, our, our bonus round episodes, something else I want to talk about here in a second, but our, our bonus round episodes are also a great opportunity to talk about, you know, cause our regular episodes aren't really geared towards social type games. It seems like, um, but if uh, like the bonus round is perfect for that, that's something else that we started last season, um, in which runs analogous to collateral cinemas, director's cut. And it's been really awesome to have Zach on those episodes. Um, he, he and I, I mean, he's, he, he's pretty much taken over the role of, um, uh, of doing the bonus rounds with me because, you know, it's been real. I love the attitude that y'all both have, by the way. I wanted to mention that. Like, it is so awesome to have other people that are just as excited about this podcast as I am. But um, what's really cool about Zach is I can always be like, yo, do you want to just like, like spontaneously? And that's what bonus round's supposed to be is, you know, hey, do you want to just talk about this? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> you know, and it's been great to just be able to just, just get it done, you know? Um, so, and, and unfortunately, we don't have uh, Dakota with us anymore. Um, he's, uh, kind of doing his own thing right now and hopefully we'll have him on as, as kind of a recurring guest on certain episodes that he wants to be on i'll always offer it out to him let him know hey bro like we got this game coming out because um a lot of the games that we developed together you know was stuff that we developed from the very first season we talked about that in our our season finale on assassin's creed 4 black flag was that was pretty much the last game that dakota and i had, had originally designed together when we first planned out collateral gaming and, and season one ended up being split into season one and season two and we went monthly so you know up until season two it's all been what was basically pre-planned uh, but now we're venturing into new territory that's what's exciting about this new season is that we all got to pick new games that we wanted to do and and it's all things that we we i mean technically majora's mask is something i'd always planned as as the season premiere for season two which then eventually became season three 
But um, other than that, I mean, everything is is completely new. It was it is new content that we are had decided, you know, after having already talked, you know, about games thus far. But um, I guess we will have a chance to kind of talk about what's upcoming in, in season three later at the end of this podcast. Already, I'm so excited. <laughs> you have no idea. My, fa- too. my favorite game of absolute time. And if y'all have listened to any of the episodes, you already know what it is. We're going to be doing um, this season. Uh, just a little hint there. And y'all are not ready. I'm probably going to fangirl like no tomorrow. But you know what? I'm so okay with it. I cannot wait. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I'm excited about that one too. And I know exactly what you're talking about, but we have a little segment that we, uh, started last season. It's called collateral gaming news. Actually, no, we did it in our first season as well, but, um, it be, it became like a kind of a series mainstay last season. So this kind of where we like to talk about news in the world of gaming. Um, so what, uh, what did y'all guys come up with in our, in our little research session? Um, well, go ahead. You go ahead. I got the boiling tea. Okay. So, um, my little bit of information that I'm super excited about, I've always been, um, on it. I started playing call of duty back in uh, 2011 when black ops two was big on the scene or when it was about to come out and cold war comes out on November 13th, 2020. And Ash and I got a little bit of time to have some fun and smack some children on the beta. And it was, (laughs) (laughs) it was, it was so much fun just diving into the old style of Call of Duty that they're trying to bring back. And I absolutely love that. This is like a prequel to Black Ops 1, which is arguably one of my favorites, if not one of the best games that the Call of Duty franchise has released. Um, The multiplayer is new, but also classic in the style at which they're bringing it back on the table. The zombies is coming back because Treyarch is bringing it back. Oh, man. The zombies looks absolutely amazing. And apparently, in this new game, you can win. You can call evac and win a round of zombies. And that is super exciting. They're bringing in multiplayer killstreaks to zombies, like a a chopper gunner. And it just looks like it's going to be a spectacular game. And I, I can't wait, which is something I have not said about Call of Duty in a very long time. Because when Ghost came out, it was just like a snowball going downhill. And they're kind of bringing it back to life. So I'm very excited about that. I know, um, speaking on Alan's behalf, because he's not in this episode, um, I know he is super excited. He's been playing the beta. Um, I'm very, very stoked for it. Um, I just started playing, uh, you know, COD recently. I know a lot of people are going to be like, how dare you? Um, I wasn't big on (laughs) gaming. Um, Did not have an Xbox until I, you know, was an adult and everything. So I kind of started playing the storylines, you know, kind of stuff that I knew first. Um, but uh, I'm really, really excited for this new one. I personally was not really a fan of the of the, the last game, the one that's currently out. Um, I personally had a lot of issues with it. It took me over a year to play the game uh, because my, my Xbox would just constantly have issues with it. Um, I, my first game, level one, dropped in with a level 150, got killed 23 times in a matter of two minutes. So I was not happy. Um, so I'm really excited. It seems like they're kind of slowing down and bringing more of a dynamic um, to the, the multiplayer in the new COD. Um, also, it's Cold War. How amazing is that? You know, like, definitely there's a lot yeah. of things that they could bring into the game. You know, I, I love that they're, you know, especially delving into the history um, of, of our world with this this franchise, you know, and kind of bringing, you know, a little bit of a side story, you know, maybe that could have happened, you know. Uh, I think that's awesome as well. And also, personally, I, I'm as everybody knows in the podcast, I am a big graphics junkie, and the graphics are so aesthetically pleasing. I can't wait to see how they're going to integrate that into the new consoles. That's going to be stunning. I am so excited for that. 
Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And honestly, I, you know, when history kind of takes its course, you kind of realize that the Cold War was more um, battle of words instead of uh, actual combat. But this kind of it, it's not gameplay related at all, but it kind of has an Assassin's Creed feel because Assassin's Creed takes historical events that have happened and kind of shows you what really happened behind the scenes. And this yeah. game kind of does that too. It kind of shows the combat behind the Cold War, and I'm really excited to see uh, how they. Uh, play the history into it while also bringing back characters like Frank Woods back into the scene mm-hmm. because Black Ops 1 and Black Ops 2 were beautiful games and those characters stuck with me forever even though Black Ops 3 and Black Ops 4 were garbage um, when it comes to when it comes to story oh, when yeah. it comes to story the multiplayers were fun um, yeah, no, but Prophet and so- Prophet is bay for me like ready to bring the lightning love him favorite <laughs> short circuiting <laughs> Yeah, I've actually been having a lot of fun, and I'm not much of a social gamer. I don't I don't play a lot of competitive multiplayer games, but I actually have been having a blast doing uh, the uh, Call of Duty Cold War with you, Zach. I mean, the beta has been a lot of fun, and I'm trash at it, but it's I still have fun with it. Um, I kind of finally got into some uh, of uh, battle royale battle battle royale gaming like Apex and uh, on Warzone, so that's been a lot of fun. Um, oh, one thing that I wanted to bring up too, as far as the the new segment goes, and speaking of multiplayer gaming, is Ghost of Tsushima recently released their multiplayer mode, Ghost of Tsushima Legends, uh, that came out just this month on October sixteenth. Um, what's really cool about this is that you're going to be able to choose from four classes, including the samurai, hunter, ronin, or assassin, and let me tell you, I've been playing the hell out of Ghost of Tsushima. It is an awesome game. I love it. I'm I'm falling in love with it. I definitely think it's going to be game of the year. I, I really think it's between that and um and Cyberpunk, depending on on how good Cyberpunk no, is. I think Cyberpunk's um, going to take it out of the water. Could it really could? It has that opportunity, but Ghost of Tsushima's definitely got a, a running chance um i would have liked to have seen last of us part two but the game is so divisive i i don't think it's gonna make game of the year um, but i love it um but anyway yeah the ghost of Tsushima. i haven't got to try out the multiplayer mode yet but i love the i love the game so far and, and how much i have played of the story and i'm gonna be playing a lot of it more later hint hint but um <laughs> the uh the legends mode looks really really cool and i can't wait to try that out yeah, um, tying back into the COD thing, I know also we're still, you know, in, facing the, the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, I think that's something that's awesome that they're doing with this new COD is, is being able to have, you know, this kind of sense of community while we're all apart. Um, being able to, you know, I know especially for my, my husband, Alan, you know, who's also, you know, on this podcast, you know, he gets to, you know, sit around, you know, he, he plays with his friends, gets to have, you know, that kind of sense of like a retro kind of like waiting for the multiplayer weekends, you know, having these cool little trick or treats with the new Warzone, uh, the, the Halloween, I guess, edition. I don't know what I would call it, um, but they're doing that's also kind of a little bit of a news bit is, you know, during this month, you know, they are doing the trick or treat. You get to play as a zombie instead of going to um, the Gulag in one of the modes. Um, I think that it's really oh, cool shit. that they're bringing community together, you know, in, in such a in such a difficult time, you know, especially you know, with, with all the, the craziness that's going on, it's cool that everybody gets to play with their friends and do new fun stuff, and that they're also going to be integrating this into the new game. Um, I think it's going to be cool to see how the, the two styles of the two games mesh together. I think that's going to be awesome. Yeah, uh, it's it's spectacular. You know, they're calling it the Haunting and Ferdansk, and they're bringing and- just a really cool layer of Halloween spookiness to the overall game. They added a playlist. 
Um, it's like Halloween party or something like that. But in most game modes now, the objective is made up of, up of a skull, and um, the player in first place has a jack-o'-lantern on their head. So it's really yeah. cool other <laughs> I saw that. Speaking of... Uh... Also for news, um, speaking of Assassin's Creed kind of tying back into Ash a little bit, um, I did see on a leak okay. uh, that there might be some news about the new Assassin's Creed being uh, feudal Japan or China, uh, which I know it's it's kind of a little bit, you know, oh. a little bit late for Assassin's Creed, but, you know, I'd still be excited to see it. I've personally never played too much of Assassin's Creed, um, but I kind of, you know, I've, I've explained this in podcast episodes before. I'm kind of one of those where, you know, if a friend is playing it or, you know, if my husband is playing it, you know, I, I like to sit there and watch the gameplay. That's a big thing for me, you know, especially, you know, at PewDiePie's been on YouTube for how many years now? I definitely started out, you know, watching it and, and kind of <laughs> thinking about a review in games because of watching PewDiePie. Um, so that was kind of cool for me, you know, uh, getting to see that, you know, they're going to be doing all that. Um, you know, maybe that it's going to be in feudal Japan or China. And also, um, since that's next generation, um, also, you're going to be able to have customizable faceplates for the new PlayStation guys. So if you want to have that God of War edition and you don't want to pay the extra money for it, you can get the controller with the customizable faceplates. Um, I've also seen one for Cyberpunk 2077. Uh, haven't seen anything else as far as the leak um, on, on the customizable faceplates, but I thought that was a little tidbit that I should add in for my my uh, fellow PlayStation players out there, I think that's cool. Instead of just buying an edition, you can kind of be like, mm, not in the God of War mood. Let's slap some cyberpunk on there. You know, I think that's awesome. Hell yeah. That I'm actually really excited about that because, you know, you always feel like you do miss out when you don't get that special edition, you know, uh, console that comes with your, your favorite game. I mean, I would have loved to have gotten that uh, Spider-Man uh, PS4. That would have been, that would have been really, really cool. But um, I, I would be really excited about customizing the faceplate on the, the PS5, and that's really, really awesome news. Um, one thing I also did want to tie into... Oh, no, actually, take that back. Assassin's Creed Feudal Japan. I do, I do, want, to, I do want to say something about that because I, I feel like... I mean, I've been waiting for a Feudal Japan in, uh, setting for Assassin's Creed. That has been like the number one. I think a lot of fans are on that same... Uh, trajectory like we've all been been wanting the feudal japan so hearing that that may be actually a possibility is good maybe ubisoft said hey ghost of tsushima actually managed to pull it off pretty well so we should probably do it um <laughs> the way i see it ghost of tsushima was kind of that uh assassin's creed that, uh, in feudal japan that we always wanted i mean it's almost like ubisoft missed the opportunity to do it but Obviously, with their branding and with the the idea of the animus and fitting into their lore, I'm totally okay with it. I will play a feudal, uh, an Assassin's Creed set in feudal Japan. Kind of trying to figure out where else they're going to take the series. So eventually, they're they're just going to have to do it. So, but I, I also did want to touch on because you mentioned, you know, obviously we're going through difficult times. We're going through the pandemic. That's why we're still social distancing, and why we're we're skyping. But uh, speaking of of difficult times, and also. Um, this is, you know, the season. Obviously, we are going through the 2020 election, and regardless of which side that you're on, I think a lot of us agree that this has been a pretty turbulent uh, election. So, you know, in doing so, a lot of celebrities have been out there telling people, you know, to, to go ahead and vote, and and I, I'm, I'm right along with you. Go vote. I mean, it matters more this election than ever before. I don't want to say too much more than that because I don't want to get too political. But um, one thing that I did admire, like her, hate her, 
uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez went ahead and jumped on and was uh, streaming among us. And I think that's pretty cool. I mean, a lot of people obviously are going to say, no, let's keep politics out of video games. I hate that. But I will go ahead and say, this is just my standpoint. I think politicians have a right as much as anyone else to play video games and, and they have a right to stream. I feel the same way about celebrities when people say celebrities need to stop talking politics. No, celebrities have a right to express their beliefs too. You know what I mean? So I, I don't see that there should be any difference. And to her benefit, I didn't watch the stream, but I heard that she really did more um, just encourage people to vote rather than um, r- rather than actually really like set a political agenda to it. So um, I, I'm not really going to get here or there about how I feel about AOC or how I don't feel. In fact, I don't even really know how I feel about her, to be completely honest with you. I've heard, you know, kind of both things, but I did actually really think that that was cool. Um, and I do see the the need to definitely uh, speak to uh, the younger generation because we are the, de- the demographic that is least likely to vote as statistics show, you know, so reaching out and, and, and encouraging young people to vote is actually really, really important because regardless of who gets voted into office, you know, it's our choice. We're the ones that are going to be dealing with the consequences of that more than anybody, you know, for eight years from now. So that's that's our world, and that's the world that we're setting up for our children. So to me, I think it's really important that, you know, we have a voice. You know, I think that we deserve to express that voice more so than some other generations do, if I'm being completely honest. You know, this is our world we're inheriting, so please you know, go out there and vote, let it be known. And whatever happens, whoever gets picked, I mean, let that be our choice. That's the American people, (laughs) the American youth. Um, I I definitely agree. You know, go out there, you know, put in your ballot, you know, whoever you choose, whoever you choose, I'm not going to have, you know, a a difference with somebody because of who they choose. You know, that's, that's beyond me, you know. Um, But I definitely encourage everybody if you, if you want to, you know, if you want to execute the right to choose your future, choose your future definitely do it exactly people aren't defined by you know what they believe like as far as political views if you're a good person that's that's that we Mm -hmm. shouldn't fight each other just because political views are different we just need to stand together and make it better no matter what the outcome yeah exactly did y'all have any more news to add on i think that pretty much wraps up our, our news segment there so I was super hyped to talk about Call of Duty, and I did that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's I think it's about time we actually start talking about Zelda, Um, because I I see that we're we're almost half an hour into this, and and we haven't even really brought up Zelda. So let's talk about Zelda. (laughs) (laughs) So, what is the Legend of Zelda series to y'all? Oh, okay, man. so the world is ending and there's zombies everywhere. I'm just kidding. That's, that's not... <laughs> um, the Legend of Zelda is my childhood. Yeah. It is what connected me to video games and what gave me a sense of adventure. Um, just to go out there and explore and find everything that I can. And, you know, even though Link doesn't speak, he's a very positive influence on the world around him. And that honestly pushed me to be a better human being. And yes, I know that that can sound sort of sappy, but The Legend of Zelda is just this massive, uh, from linear to open world, it's just this massive adventure that kind of plucks at your heartstrings, you know, and it's something that you can't help but get fully invested in. And that's why I love it more than any other game series. And that's what it is to me, you know. Absolutely. Um, I would say the same thing. You know, Zelda was a big, uh, big influence on my childhood. You know, I remember going out in the yard and playing with my stick horse saying it was a uh, epina you know that that was you know my childhood I, you know uh, uh, i had a you know a best friend and I, I call her you know little sister and her sister big sister 
Um, I remember being a child and, you know, pl finishing up my homework for the night. We had dinner. We would all finish up, sit down, and we'd watch her play the newest Zelda game. That was our childhood. You know, we'd watch her play Wind Waker. You know, we watched her play Majora's Mask when we asked them to play on the 64 because they had all of the consoles. Uh, I remember watching them play, you know, Ocarina of Time and having a save file right before the end just to go run around and play around. I think that, you know, uh, also uh, tying on to your, your point there, Zach, um, you know, Link is a very, very positive influence. And, you know, it kind of pushed me to be, you know, a little bit more of an optimist than I think I would be had I not, you know, had myself tied into these games. You know, he's so, he's so optimistic and, you know, when he helps somebody, he's just so happy and he's so, you know, he has his sad moments. There's always, you know, in every character, especially in dynamic video games such as the series, you know, there are going to be, you know, some some dark depth moments, but he's he's all overly positive and it's, and it's a great thing, especially, you know, getting to share this with, you know, friends of mine that have children, you know, they ask me about, you know, how my childhood was and, you know, I get to say, yeah, you know, I got to play around with Link as a kid, you know, and, and go ride Epina and, you know, use all the spurs up and, you know, go riding across Hyrule Field and things like that. I think that it was such a big thing in my childhood that it, it really, you know, shaped me the person that I am today. Yeah, The Legend of Zelda, hands down, without a doubt, is my favorite video game series of all time, and always will be. It is what it is what legitimately got me to the point where I wanted to have a career in video games. It's what got me to be. I mean, I, I started out with the GameCube. I played. I had. Uh, let's see. I got Super Smash Brothers. I really enjoyed Spyro: Heroes Tale. That was one of the first games I got on it. But man, whenever I bought the Legend of Zelda: The Wind Waker, my entire world changed. Video games became just just something just became my life, okay? And it's why I, I'm on a video game podcast today, and I, I can't say that I would, I would, you know, be as interested in video games if it hadn't been for Zelda. I mean, I remember just getting to Dragon Roost Cavern, the very first dungeon in the Wind, in Wind Waker, and that's fairly early on in the game, obviously, but you do get this sense of just epicness. I remember getting this feeling like I really was this boy who had been thrust away from his home you know i'm a million miles from home and i'm and i'm trying to save my sister and i'm in this fiery dungeon and i just i just felt that and i was just so invested in it and i couldn't stop playing and before i knew it twilight princess was already in talks at the time they'd already announced it it was going to come out in a few months so i smacked onto that pre-order and i you know was waiting and waiting for that to come out and it came out and i loved it and i got phantom hourglass and i got spirit tracks and i pre-ordered uh skyward sword and i was super super hyped about that and i got that and ever since then you know every zelda game that's come out i have been there at launch or or pre-ordered the game breath of the wild being an exception because i wanted to get the the switch edition and i was waiting to get a switch to do it but <laughs> even though i had a wii u i wanted to play it right but yeah, The Legend of Zelda is, is like you guys said, an integral part of my childhood. And it's something that I'm excited to be able to play with my daughter. Um, she's only a year old now. I think almost almost a year and a half, I, I want to say. Yeah. See, because her birthday's in June. So, yeah. <laughs> We're coming up on 18 months. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I can't even believe it. That 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 is insane to me. Anyway, I'm really excited to start playing Zelda with her, as I once did with my dad, you know. Um because after I got into the series, I found out that my dad also had grown up with the original Zelda. So we played the original together. And when I remember going back and forth, um, I would have been in middle school at the time. And, and we would, um, we would, you know, every time we died, we would switch out. And oh, man, it's a hard, it's a hard, hard game, the very first one. But I, I can't wait to share those experiences with Hazel and be able to show her Zelda. <laughs> Alan and I have talked about this, you know, I, I definitely want to have, you know, Kind of like I had in my childhood, you know, maybe maybe not as much, you know, I definitely, you know, there's hopes and dreams that I have my, for my future children. 
Um, but uh, we've talked about, you know, how I definitely want to, you know, delve into the Zelda franchise with my children. I want to show them, you know, how, how I was as a kid, what I got to see as a child, and, you know, what, what shaped me to be, you know, the mom that I'm going to become, you know, in the future. I'm really, really excited to, to delve into that with my children one day. It's, it's a beautiful thing. You know, the series, this is probably one of the most um, connecting series of all time. Yeah. It really does bring people together who've experienced it. I mean, I went to school for five years to study how to play the trumpet. And my professor um, just one day noticed that I had a switch in my backpack and he told me how Ocarina of Time is his favorite game of all time. And oh, he actually yeah. invited me to come over to his house and play on the 64 with him. And we got all the way to Jabu Jabu's belly in one night. Just him and I goofing off, having a beer, playing Zelda. It was fantastic. And I got so much closer to him just because we were exploring as this little kid trying to save the princess. And it was just spectacular. And no other video game has ever been able to do that for me. I mean, yeah, I play Call of Duty almost religiously. And I've gotten into Rocket League recently. But they just, they don't compare. And yeah. No other game tugs on your heartstrings. No other game kind of brings you joy and sadness with certain aspects of the story. And it's just something that, you know, hopefully I'll be able to have children one day. And you bet I'm going to try to show them this series. You bet I'm going to try to introduce <laughs> them. And hopefully at some point in some capacity, it can inspire them the way it inspired me to just yeah. be more joyous, to be more optimistic and to look at life in a better way. Yeah. Just don't tell them to smash doors. <laughs> <laughs> well no that's that's the best part <laughs> i'm destructive but i'm also a 13 <laughs> for so for me <laughs> you know zelda is already my favorite video game series of all time so i'm really excited to talk about what is actually my favorite game in the zelda franchise along with breath of the wild they're both my favorites i'm their tied i can't tell which one i love more i love them both for reasons but we already talked about breath of the wild and you know, early on in our in our first season of Collateral Gaming. And if you haven't checked that out, go check that out right now. Um, it's it's available wherever you're listening to this right now. But And I'm also doing a Let's Play on it, and I'm slowly finishing it up. Added a couple more episodes on YouTube. That's a Patreon exclusive. So um, if you want to, you know, give us a little bit of cheddar cheese, then uh, you'll, get to, <laughs> you'll get to check that out. <laughs> anyway... We also talked about a bad Zelda game, Zelda, the Zelda CDI games. That that was a fun episode for 420, so make sure to check that out as well. And there's a Let's Play out on Link, The Faces of Evil. But uh, Majora's Mask, okay? Majora's Mask is, again, it is my favorite Zelda game. And the reasons why we're going to get into here... But there is something that, you know, love it or hate it, there is something that is very, very unique about Majora's Mask that no other Zelda game does. And I think that's why it's so interesting to me, and that's why it's rated so highly for me. Um, I mean, just right off the bat, what do you guys think separates Majora's Mask or, or distinguishes it from the series? Oh, man. Um, I think for me, because it's it's so different from what we especially you know if, if the 64 is your first console as a child you know you play ocarina of time and then shortly after comes this new zelda game you're like oh my god is it a continuation like what happens to ganon what happens to zelda you know you're like what happens um and and it's such a dark game it's so intense mm. and as a child you're like what and also for me i've had some hard moments in some games but for me personally majora's mask is the hardest game i've ever played it is so intense, it's so in-depth, there's so many little details that you don't think about until you've messed up. 
um, and and you just are so involved in this dark story of Termino, which is you know the mirror of of Hyrule, and and just the the intense depth of it. It's so astonishing uh, for for a game, especially of its time. You know, it was just so in, in like I just keep saying in depth and intense because it's just like it's in your face, and it's like destruction's coming, man. You got to take care of it now, and you're like, oh my god, okay, we're gonna go do it, I guess. Shit. Yep. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Kind of to piggyback off of that, just other than the graphics, you know, they are a little bit better than Ocarina of Time just because, you know, they had to put in a little bit more work for it. Majora's Mask is a game that is so far ahead of its time. It is just, mm -hmm. for, for the crunch time that they had to put this game, it was like, what, less than a year? Yeah. This yeah. game is just so superb in every aspect. I mean, you're constantly filled with this sense of dread because you know, at the, I mean, of course you can take your ocarina and you can reset time whenever you need to, but you have three days. Yeah. Three days to get this done or this giant terrifying moon with one of the most horrifying faces that the Nintendo 64 could provide at the time is just waiting to just come and crash into clock. Oh my God. It's just, it's amazing. And with everything that you can do, the NPCs are so detailed because everything's running on a schedule. The side quests are just incredibly detailed and the bombers notebook and with everything in that game, it's just, it's definitely the most advanced and one of the more challenging games I've ever played in my entire life. I can agree with you, Megan. It's, it's one of the most difficult games I've ever played. Yeah. And just to be able to do everything in a timely manner. I mean, Ash, you've been working on the three day challenge. You, you know how tough yeah. it is. <laughs> it is tough. I cried. Majora's Mask turned me off at first. I'm not going to lie. I was actually, first, originally I was scared of playing it. And my original um, encounter with Majora's Mask was the Legend of Zelda Collector's Edition disc that was a kind of a promotional disc that you could get uh, through Nintendo Power or um, through Nintendo's official website. And it included the Legend of Zelda, Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link, Ocarina of Time, and Majora's Mask, and also uh, a demo for The Wind Waker, which actually didn't work on the copy that I had, but I had already played The Wind Waker, so I didn't care. I was apprehensive about Majora's Mask, because I knew about it. I knew there was a three-day time limit, and originally I couldn't get into it, because the game doesn't really give you any sense of direction whatsoever, and, well, I mean, there's a sense, but it doesn't really tell you where to go. The game kind of it is kind of Am I using the right word here? But Liza's fair. I wonder if I'm using that word correctly. Laissez-faire. Laissez-faire. Yes. It's kind of ambiguous in its uh, direction, almost for me. No, that has nothing to do. That's something economic. Okay, I'm completely misusing that word. Um. Anyway, <laughs> me trying to be impressive. Um. Anyway, it it it's kind of um it it kind of just lets you explore things and figure out what your next direction is by interacting with NPCs. And that really builds the world. And we'll, we'll get into that more in depth in a second here, but um, not really knowing exactly where to go and also having to deal with that stressful time limit really uh, bugged me. And, and even the very first moments of the game are really hard. And, and so the difficulty curve kind of threw me off too. And I think that originally Majora's Mask isn't as wide, wasn't as widely regarded as it is as it is today because it's not as accessible as other Zelda games are. And there's a reason for that. And we're going to talk about the development here in just a second. But Majora's Mask was a game that I was turned off from originally because of the lack of accessibility, because of the stressfulness, the anxiety that it causes. But when you really get into it, my 
God, it's beautiful. And yeah, it is. Uh, oh, it just so it gets so much deeper than any Zelda game has ever gone. The story goes in places and explores um, just very mature and complex themes. There's numerous fan theories. There's a whole ass creepy pasta out, which we are gonna touch on. Um, that recently restarted. <laughs> it it is it is just embedded in the Zelda community, and there are a lot of people that you know see. Majora's Mask now as they see Ocarina of Time. I mean, you have basically two types of Zelda game players who either Zelda players that say that Ocarina of Time is the best or Zelda players that say Majora's Mask is the best. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it is it is something that I may not appeal to every Zelda player, but I think everybody should give it a shot. Of course, I, I got, we're getting ahead of ourselves. That that's kind of more of a final thoughts thought. The Majora's Mask is is insane, and there is. Oh, I can't wait to get into all of this. But let's start off with the development. All right. Young Link returns to your N64 in Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Trapped in a strange parallel world where Armageddon looms just three days away, Link must recover his stolen ocarina to save this world. Now magical masks transform him into creatures of power, while bold new creatures cross his path, charmed with luck, both good and bad. Legend of Zelda, Majora's Mask for your Nintendo 64. Time is running out. So obviously we've talked about Nintendo a bunch of times. I don't think that we really need to get into it too far here, um, but it was developed by Nintendo EAD, which was the, let me get the acronym real quick. <laughs> I know I should have had this. Nintendo Entertainment Analysis and Development, okay? And they were behind some of the more, uh, some of the more well-known Nintendo properties. And, and I believe that... No, 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 that's what they're known as today. So was they were formerly the largest software development division inside of Nintendo. Um, we had a lot to talk about that, I believe, in our uh, Mario Kart episode and in, and in the Breath of the Wild episode as well. But uh, Nintendo EAD was the developer. Uh, Nintendo was obviously the publisher. So this is all first party. It's all Nintendo. Um, we kind of know this about, about Nintendo first party games like Zelda and Mario. Um, obviously, we have our bigwigs in charge of this. Uh, Eiji Aonuma and Yoshiaki Koizumi, and also, uh, or the directors of the game, and then Shigeru Miyamoto, the king himself, uh, helped produce this. It's fun to note that um, the Happy Mask salesman, his character was designed to emulate Shigeru Miyamoto. Was he really? It's really cool because you can kind of see similarities in their personalities. If you just watch uh, interviews with Shigeru Miyamoto, he's kind of got that happy yet daunting kind of personality that kind of leaves you in suspense. Yes, exactly. That, that... <laughs> You've met with a terrible fate, haven't yeah. you? <laughs> oh my God, I can see that now. I can see that now. And I don't know why I didn't see that before. By God, I love Miyamoto. And I love Aonuma as well. Um, they're both just just the kings of the Zelda franchise. You can't talk about a Zelda game and not talk about Aonuma or Miyamoto. Yeah, for for me, Miyamoto uh, as a kid was was almost as uh, as as big as uh, Hayao Miyazaki. For me, Miyazaki is you know like mm -hmm. one of the biggest influences in my childhood. You know, I can't even. I we could go into a whole episode or a whole like season on collateral cinema just about Miyazaki's movies for me personally um you know they, they were a big it. influence on my childhood and and Miyamoto was also you know like I remember just talking about like 
how crazy it was that, you know, these two people were so famous, you know, and, and, and how, you know, they brought so much inspiration into, into children and, and childhood itself. And it's just insane how big he is and how awesome he is and how many of his own <laughs> Easter eggs of himself he's put into Zelda games. It's kind of insane. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh man. They are kings. Um, if Miyamoto is basically like the emperor of Nintendo, of all uh, Nintendo first party games that you love, like Mario's uh, Zelda, Star Fox, he's not too involved with Metroid, actually. That's the only one that he's not in. Um, you know, Donkey Kong, etc. Then Al Numa is like the the king of Zelda. You know, he's like uh, uh, Miyamoto's like the emperor, and, and Al Numa is like the shogun of Zelda. Um, <laughs> he's been involved in the games, I think, since Ocarina of Time. Ocarina of Time. Yeah. So um, this was actually his his second game, and and one thing that we will I will note here is that Aonuma, or so I've heard, is not particularly proud of Majora's Mask. Yeah. Um, as we mentioned before, as Zach mentioned, Majora's Mask was developed in less than a year. So it was, uh, originally Ocarina Time was released on the Nintendo 64, and in order to capitalize on the success of the Nintendo, on, on the success of Ocarina, <laughs> I should say, um, while the Nintendo 64 was still in its life cycle, Nintendo had wanted to release, um, originally, Majora's Mask was actually envisioned as a uh, an, an expansion uh, using the 64 DD, and it was it was tentatively tentatively titled Ura Zelda, which means uh, Ura Zelda means uh, Reverse Zelda. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah. If anybody knows any Naruto, that's like Ura Ringe, <laughs> the the Reverse Lotus or Hidden Lotus, uh, Rock Lee's move, or um, what is it? Uh, wasn't that in in Rosario too? Did they call? And they call inner mocha like Uta mocha or something. I don't know. I'm good. I'm going weeb here. But <laughs> <laughs> Reverse mocha. But yeah, so originally this was conceived as a 64 DD expansion. And if you don't know about the 64 DD, it was it wasn't particularly successful. I don't think. I think only th- there were very few games that were going to make use of it. And it was basically like a four megabyte expansion of the Nintendo 64 that would allow some additional things <laughs> that was something i did want to bring up because i personally don't remember was it like two cards or because i remember just having the one gold card uh you know watching big sister played as a kid and she would just smack it in and i know that they're in, like in our in our uh talking points kind of you were talking about like the expansion pack i never really i don't remember that was it like something that was i, I personally like i'm trying to envision the 64 and i don't remember that in the back of it the expansion pack is something different. The 64 DD was uh, was a magnetic disk drive peripheral, and I I don't think that it really got much use. Yeah. But originally, it, this was actually going to be basically what what would end up becoming Master Quest. Um, that's that's what Majora's Mask was originally going to be. So if anybody knows about Majora's Mask, and, and one of the things that you'll notice right away is that it reuses all of the assets from Ocarina of Time. All the character models are in there. A lot of the the textures and the soundtracks and everything is very 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 similar. Uh, and there's an in story reason for that. But originally this was just going to be a an expansion. And Majora's Mask is unique among Zelda games because in, in, in recent history, it's the only one that actually reuses the same game engine and reuses assets, something that the Nintendo never, ever, ever likes to do. And I think they should do more. But um, it wouldn't have happened if it weren't for the, the, the development history and how Majora's Mask came about. At some point, Ura Zelda actually ended up becoming Master Quest because the idea was that it would be, it would just have altered level designs from Ocarina of Time. Now, 
somewhere within within development, Ura Zelda became Zelda Gaiden, and those two concepts split. Like I said, Ura Zelda became Master Quest. Zelda Gaiden became what is actually uh, Majora's Mask now. And by 1999, we had actually gotten screenshots and details of it that seemed to contain the primary elements of Majora, such as the clock timer and the transformation masks. Mm-hmm. I'm Man, sorry, the I don't mean to be laughing. Right. It's just Alan left out chips from last night and went to go bite into one and saw it was tail and just put it back in the bowl. <laughs> so there's a guess oh my God. Alan, if you hear a crunch in the background guys yeah before we started uh this podcast you had mentioned about your cat just deciding to go to the bathroom and that's kind of what i thought was happening no no <laughs> she's, she's actually chilling in her house right now being good but yeah no my husband is making a guest appearance by eating chips so how's it going <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> anywho um, yeah, like, like we said, it was developed in one year. Eventually, it became its own game, uh, reusing um, a lot of, of, of the, of the uh, character models and other assets and even the game engine from Ocarina of Time. Um, it was Miyamoto and Kozumi that actually came up with the idea of a three-day system. And this was done to cut down on game data and development time, but still be able to provide a deep gameplay experience. Yeah, it was kind of interesting because, you know, like, especially going into into now, you know, like you have like timed events where, you know, you have to do something, you know, before the end of the mission or whatever. But I have never seen another game where they have this intense system where you have to finish things in a certain schedule at a certain time. If you don't, if you don't get all the giants, you're dead. You're screwed. <laughs> It was brilliant, you know, because they, they kind of kept that same feel of open-ended, just vast gameplay while keeping this amount of pressure, which, I mean, we, I mean, we have that, you know, Nintendo usually had to cut corners, which isn't typically done, but when you play the game in depth, it does not feel like that. It just feels like this intense scenario where, yes, there's so much that you can do, but you're limited in the amount of time that you can do it, and a lot of things reset when you play the song of time and go back and there's some stuff that you have to do over again, which kind of makes you question yourself. Okay. How am I going to do this? Yeah. No, it, it, like you said, exactly what, what I would, what, what I was thinking is that it's brilliant. What they managed to do was not have to produce as much content as they normally would need to for a Zelda game by imposing the three day time limit and having players continually reset. You allow players to continue playing and to put more gameplay in and it doesn't feel artificial. Um, you kind of just more get these Groundhog Day vibes. And what's good is that, you know, once you complete certain sections of the game, you know, that part is saved and you can continue on and you'll have shortcuts that will allow you to move through things faster or you can just completely move on to the other section. You know, what, what you said about cutting corners, the reason I, I wrote that in the itinerary specifically, and I, I think this is what gives Majora's Mask the feel that it does, the unique feel. And we kind of touched on this earlier, but there is this more open-ended, challenging gameplay that we don't tend to see in Zelda. Now, don't get me wrong. Zelda definitely has open-world elements, and it definitely can be challenging, but this game is even more so, and it's definitely going to be a result of the rush development time. Um, Nintendo didn't have the amount of play testing that they normally do and the lack of testing seems to have resulted in these more difficult puzzles and scenarios. Yeah, 100%. And honestly, being a older adult now and going back and playing most of these Zelda games, 
Zelda really isn't too terribly hard. I mean, if you're playing on hero mode, it's a completely different (laughs) feel, but the older Zelda games didn't have hero mode. And so mainly they were just focused on story and exploration, the the boss fights and stuff. They weren't typically too difficult, but Majora's Mask completely throws all of that out of the window. And it's just ridiculously hard. It's so hard. I remember having to reread so many pages because I don't know about y'all, but I know as a kid, especially like GameStop was a staple for us. Um, mm-hmm. We always had to buy the, the buy the book with the game. It was just a thing. And I remember having to reread the pages so many times because I did not understand what the hell was going on. And the book isn't really <laughs> specific either. It's just like, hey, you should probably do this, but I don't know. Like, no one even knows what this game was. Like, it was so intense and hard. And I remember having to, like, reread the pages and, like, okay, okay, I did this. Should I go back and do this? Does that change this outcome? What do I do? Like, like we were discussing, you know... Um, a little bit before you know we were talking about one of our episodes it kind of has its almost own butterfly effect because it's like you watch this thing kind of go backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards and there's consequences that change with time and it's like what the hell is going on it can get very confusing very quickly and confusing yeah it's it's a very fresh element to the zelda series and as far as uh piggybacking off of like buying books um ash and i were talking in a previous episode about how my first zelda game was the legend of zelda oracle of ages which was a gift given to me alongside a game boy Uh color and with um with that game uh the woman who gave us the games uh gave us the book for Oracle of Ages, and it was a dual guide for both ages and seasons about how to get through it and link those games. And even with that book, I still struggled to get through it just because I was a young mind. You know, I couldn't really process how to do this. But when I got Majora's Mask, there was nothing I could really do without referring to a walkthrough or like a guide because I was like, there's so much happening. One wrong, like you said, with the butterfly effect, one, one wrong move, one missed conversation, you have to reset. And do it all over again. And you have to follow a very specific timeline that's just not present in the other games. And that's what makes this game so unique is that one wrong move, one wrong pressed button. You're not in a specific, you're not in West Clocktown at this time. You're going to miss this person and you have to start all over again, which if you're speed running or if you're trying to do something quickly, it completely negates that. And so you just set the clocks back. Yeah. And, 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 oh, God, there's just, there, there are just so many elements of Majora's Mask that really set it apart. Um, and, and I, I forgot what I was going to say here, but <laughs> there was something I was going to say in regards to what y'all said, and I completely lost it. Um, but I, I guess we'll, 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 I'll probably think about it later. Um, what I wanted to bring up real quick, at least in regards to, you know, as far as development goes, because they really want to get into the meat, into the gameplay, and I feel like that's where we're, we're headed. But <clears throat> this game actually does require, uh, like you said, Megan, the uh, the expansion pack. So that's where that comes into play, is there was the, the 4 megabyte expansion pack. Um, the only other game that actually required the use of it was Donkey Kong 64. And originally, this actually had to do probably with the fact that this game was originally going to be developed for the 64DD, which had a 4 megabyte RAM requirement. Mm-hmm. Um, what that does for the game is it does allow for improvements in draw distance, dynamic lighting, texture mapping, animation, frame buf- buffer effects, and number of characters that are displayed on screen. So while this game does use the same engine and, and feels mostly similar to Ocarina of Time, you might notice some differences in how well that that's portrayed, particularly in things like the building interiors being able to be rendered in real time. So they're not set at that fixed 
3D display like Ocarina does, um, and there's less of that fog effect that Ocarina had to rely on. Especially in uh, Hyrule Castle Town. Yeah. yeah. Was, it was the most prevalent there. You could just kind of see the grainy film in the background where it was there, but it just looked like it was off in the distance. And when you ran to that area, Link kind of was a little bit more pixelated and harder to see. And, and whenever you rolled into something, the entire clock town shook. Do you remember that? <laughs> see, like, I don't I don't think I ever had that issue. And I, I don't know if maybe it's like the, the 64 that we had. But what was the expansion pack? Like, I, I personally don't remember this. Was it like you know, something I, developed later? Research time! I know, yeah, like, research I'm, time. I'm so genuinely like, I don't remember this. Maybe it was just already plugged into the 64. You know, like, I don't... Yeah, let me see here real quick, because I never played this on 64. Like I said, my, I originally played this on the Nintendo GameCube, and then I also have played it. I, I recently replayed the uh, the 64 version on the Virtual Console, and then, of course, I've played the the 3ds version which we will talk about i think this was just sitting in the in the in the playstation or playstation god i looked at the name playstation and said it Ugh. I, I think this was sitting in the nintendo the whole time i don't think we ever removed this uh -huh. either that or it was it was just built in because yeah because it was a closed compartment okay that closed compartment thing it was just sitting in there and we i don't think we ever saw that so i think it was just in the xbox or xbox god i cannot think of the console name today i've well, said every it's console. okay i played majora's mask on ps2 it's fine <laughs> <laughs> um i i honestly don't remember this but i guess that was something that had happened that's that's interesting yeah it was bundled with donkey kong 64 and in japan it was it was bundled with majora's mask um i'm just looking at it now yeah it increases the nintendo 64's ram from four megabytes to eight megabytes which is pretty impressive at the time because i think my, my computer is is a, my 2013 macbook pro is, is eight megabytes of ram and a lot of the computers today come situated with that so for a game console back from uh 1999 2000 to have a uh a eight megabytes of ram is actually pretty impressive sorely impressive yeah i mean computers nowadays People who custom build their PCs run off of like eight to sixteen gigs of RAM, and to think like that's almost thousands of Majora's Masks being able to run at the same time. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't play Majora's Mask until I was able to uh, get it for the virtual console for the Wii U. So my first time playing Majora's Mask was like back in 2012, 2013. So when it comes to that game, I'm kind well, you know, eight years. I'm still kind of a baby on it. I didn't play it yeah. when it was released. I didn't play it on the 64. But I tell you what, it was still just as challenging being oh, yeah. a teenager. <laughs> well, I think also, easier. like, we still had the old school box TV that was specifically for the the 64. It stayed in my best friend's mom's bedroom. That was where the 64 lived. Um, I can, mm -hmm. I can like, see the room that it's in right now. It's kind of insane. Um, but <laughs> it, it, I just remember, like, having to hold it. Because those controllers were so big. Like, when you're five and your hands are this freaking big, like, you have to hold it, like, so awkward. And... It was just so intense playing that as a child, and especially, like, the cartridge would mess up. You'd have to blow on it, even though you weren't supposed to. And, yeah. Uh, and, and mind you, like, I'm sure that the, the, the listeners know, you know, I'm a little bit younger. I'm 22, so, you know, I, it was, it was you know, after, you know, I was born. You know, Ocarina of Time came out shortly after I was born, which is insane, and it's one of my favorite games. Um, but I remember, like, being a kid and, and going back to that, and it was just so cool, and it was so hard. And I hated the controller because especially the bottom button, the Z button. Ugh. Yeah. I don't even want to talk about it. It was broken half the time. It sucked. <laughs> I mean, it was beautiful at the time it came out. I mean, like, the Nintendo 64 controller, looking at it now and 
when the whole system came out, that's probably one of the most innovative designs. And with how Ocarina of Time kind of set the stage for uh, adventure-based 3D games, like with Z-targeting, and how that specific functionality has been factored into a lot of games today, it's kind of brilliant. But I was two years old when the game came out. And so when I was finally old enough to start playing video games, and I had been playing with a GameCube controller and with an Xbox controller... I was like, man, this controller sucks. <laughs> I don't have... Like, a we had so many consoles, and you know, in, in their house. You know, I say we because I basically live there. Like, I was always playing video games with them. Um, it, going from, like... I mean, mind you, like I said, I didn't have an Xbox until I was adult. But going from a PS2 controller to a 64 controller that feels like your freaking size of your head is... It hurts. It physically hurts. <laughs> your I mean, your thumb gets, like, numb from having to, like, go like this and then, like mash your hand over to the side and like have to mash it from hiding from ganon or you know going into clock town and you're having to like roll away and you're like fuck <laughs> yeah that that's definitely part of the challenge of playing those games is being able to get comfortable with the controls and um oh i had something i was gonna say because we were talking about people who developed the game but i think that's kind of next so we'll get to that but um, I'm a huge music nerd, so when we start talking about the music, I'm going to be all over it. We, we are just about to. Um, yeah. I want to kind of piggyback off of what y'all said, though, real quick, that um, I never really got on a lot of experience with the Nintendo 64. I never had one in my house. My first console was a GameCube, and my mom didn't let me play video games until... Like, she was vehemently anti-video game, did not let me play video games until um, I was, you know, pretty, pretty ways through elementary school. But I would have been five years old when Majora's Mask originally came out. So this was me just kind of rediscovering it. Um, but yeah, to get into the music, okay. So this soundtrack was composed um, primarily by the great, the, the king of Nintendo soundtracks, Koji Kondo. Mm -hmm. mm, Koji Kondo. Uh, he, is, he is amazing. Um, obviously, we've got some reworked themes from Ocarina of Time at play. But what is surprising to me are how many how many new themes are in this video game uh, that weren't in Ocarina of Time. I mean, some of my personal favorites are the Song of Healing and the Clock Town theme uh, and the Stone Tower theme. I mean, in terms of like, for instance, the Song of Healing, you know, it's just beautiful. Every moment that it's used in the game is, an, is just a, a very emotional moment. And the Clock Tower theme, I love how with each day that you that, that passes, it gets quicker. And, and, and then the pace quickens up. And then even on the last day, there's kind of that ominous drone in the background. And, and the Stone Tower theme is just haunting, especially when you watch some of the, like, the Ben Drowned, Haunted Majora's Mask cartridge stuff. It is, it is just harrowing. Uh, what, what did you think about the music, music nerd? Oh, wait, wait, wow. wait, which one? Because we're both music nerds. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> well, um, honestly, I think that the music in Majora's Mask is... Brilliantly done. Uh, the overworld theme with that snare drum in the background and that super paced, uh, super fast paced, just adventure theme. I love it. It kind of keeps you. Music is one of the most important things in a video game because, I mean, yes, playing the game itself is fun. But if you're running through a giant open field and nothing is playing in the background, eventually you're gonna no you're gonna nod off or turn the game off because it's just eh, the music is some of the most important part. But talking about the clock tower theme. And how over the course of the three days, it just kind of gets more intense. And on the third day, there's that drone. It kind of it's kind of a a praise uh, shouted to 
like Ganon's Tower from Ocarina of Time, how when you finally get to the grand staircase, the farther up the staircase you yes, go, yes. the more you hear Ganon on the Ganondorf on the organ, just his theme playing. And honestly, in Majora's Mask, it drags that out and it increases that sense of dread and anxiety. And you're just, oh my yeah, God, yeah, yeah. I'm closing in on it. It's terrifying. And it's so perfectly done. And I will say the Termina overworld theme is my favorite overworld theme in the entire series next to um, the sky from Skyward Sword. But we're not yeah. talking about that game. Well, but, it's the Zelda overworld theme, right? Which, uh, you know, was was uh, oddly enough, uh, notably absent from uh, the predecessor, Ocarina of Time. Uh, so here it finally makes a return, you know, the, the Zelda do, 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 do. And, and I love, I love the way that it sounds in this game in Termina Field. And what I really like about a lot of the soundtracks in this game, and, and, and this goes with kind of the graphics as well, is that a lot of them are bright and cheery, which is completely juxtaposed with the dark nature of the game. The game is dark for different reasons than, for instance, like Twilight Princess is the other game that's considered kind of dark. It's totally dark. I know, I know, but... but Majora's Mask is thematically dark. And there's dark moments, don't get me wrong, but I love how there's there's bright and cheery graphics and music, but there's this just this sense of, you know, the moon is crashing. It's the idea that everyone is dying and the mature themes that it deals with. <laughs> Have you ever um, just waited till the end of the three-day period just to see what would happen? Yes. And he goes, uh, you've met with a terrible fate, haven't you? That, that's where that famous line from the creepypasta comes in. The marimba in the background is so good. I love the overworld theme so much. Yeah. Okay, so... You're a music nerd too, right, Megan? So what are your thoughts? <laughs> I was in choir for a very long time. Um, and, uh, you know, music is a big thing for me. I've always been, you know, the type. I don't know if y'all did this as a kid. Maybe it was just me. But anytime I played a game that I really, really loved, I bought the soundtrack and it helped me study. It helped me get through college. Um, and on my study playlist, actually, let me pull it up, um, is is the Song of Healing. And it's also in my sleep playlist. Um, it does help me really get into a good state of mind. And it's, it's just really such a big song for me. I think it was just because it has so many high points and it reminds me, you know, kind of going into, you know, state and, and you know, having like my soprano moments in choir, you know, as a soprano one. Um, it's in my uh, my instrumentals playlist as well. Um, Come on, tenor one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Super high voices. Let's yes. Go. Yes. I, I, I don't think I can sing a D anymore, but, you know, I could probably try. Um, it just, it was such a big really big one for me um i'm trying to find my playlist i'm sorry guys that i'm just like huh, yeah, uh-huh, yep. um, <laughs> i have you know in my apple music library to this day it originally was imported into my itunes library uh, i have the 25th anniversary uh soundtrack that came bundled with skyward sword mm -hmm. and and that includes a lot of the um or orchestral arrangements through all out th throughout the series um and I, Majora's Mask didn't actually make it into that one, but I think in the like the 30th anniversary uh, or orchestra they did they did have a like a Majora's Mask medley that incorporated a lot of the major themes like the Clock Tower theme and the Song of Healing and the Deku Palace theme and oh there are so many bangers in this game. I mean, I was kind of infuriated when the 25th anniversary didn't have a Majora's Mask installment just because I mean that game has some of the most memorable tracks. Oh, okay. nice! Not even kidding. Not even kidding. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I know, especially for me, like, speaking about soundtracks, like, Zelda was so big for me. Uh, you know, Ocarina of Time, you know, I personally favor over Majora's Mask just because, you know, I'm, I'm a happy, upgoing person, and I loved all the bright colors, and, 
you know, getting to ride everywhere with Epina. You know, it was so fun for me. Um, but um, I remember being a kid, and I don't. They came to the area once uh, here in here in South Central Texas, but they had the traveling uh, Zelda orchestra, and I remember just begging my parents for a ticket to go watch the orchestra just to listen to the song of healing that was my favorite um from from this you know game and it was just oh it's so beautiful to hear it from the orchestra it's it's mind-blowing and it's so so pretty like i don't even know how to describe a song besides like pretty and airy and light and it just it's it brings a, a sense of hope into such a dark intense game <laughs> yes it really does and being able to experience that in a live setting especially from a group of talented musicians, there is really nothing better than that. And it kind of sticks with you for the rest of your life. And I remember going to see the symphony of the goddess in Atlanta. And when they played the ballad of the goddess, I cried my eyes. One of my favorites. favorites. Yeah. I was so happy to be there and I was just, Oh man, just, Oh yeah. It'll stick with me. I will remember that for the rest of my life. So I can imagine I can imagine how that impacted you, and I'm sort of jealous, you know. Uh, I, 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 I'm, so, I'm jealous of both of y'all. I, I've never been to, you know, like a live orchestra uh, or symphony of, of, of uh, Legend of Zelda, and I love, love, love Zelda music, so I definitely have always wanted to go. It is, it is uh, my favorite, maybe I'm a little biased, but it's my favorite video game soundtrack of all time as well, you know, incidentally. Unfortunately, <laughs> I didn't get to see it, um, but, you know, as I mentioned before, I did go to a lot of cons, you know, it, yeah, as I was younger, I haven't had the chance to go in recent years because I was working you know a lot more uh before i I got my current job that i have now um but they do have you know in uh san japan uh here in in san antonio texas um they do have you know little shorts where they do have part of the symphony that comes out and plays or they have you know people that you know volunteer to come play it and i'm hoping praying to god that we get to see that um in in the next couple of cons because that was i remember waiting in line and the the doors closed um, and big sister got to go in. We didn't. Uh, and oh, I, I'm that, that was at San Japan because I've never seen that at San Japan. Mm-hmm. And I've been a few years. It's been a while since I've been, but we definitely need to make an appearance. I, I know that it's canceled this year, but we have to make an appearance next time. And we got to do Comic Con as well. I'll fly out there. I will. Hell yeah. I, 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 and especially, you know, I, I haven't been to, you know, many other cons. I did go to, you know, Comic Con and, you know, I did meet Stanley in passing. That was an amazing moment for me. Oh. Yeah, I did meet Stanley in passing. Didn't get a picture with him or anything, but I, you know, said, you know, thank you for being such an instrumental, you know, instrumental part of my childhood, and, and you're an amazing man, and, and God bless you. Um, I'm gonna cry. Yeah, yeah. But I, I don't want to cry because I did see him in person, so that kind of sucked, you know, hearing about his passing. He's um, a hero in all of us. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I just cannot wait for San Japan and I really hope we all get to go because it's, it was a big part of my childhood. I've taken friends, children there and you know, I, it's just, there's so much Zelda too. I still have photos in my iCloud from, you know, seeing, you know, the, the, um, the Skull Kid. There was a guy yeah. who dressed up as the full, like, with stilts, Skull Kid. Oh, no way. Dead serious. I bet that was terrifying, was but so also cool. awesome. It was so cool. I was freaking out. <laughs> that is cool. Okay, so obviously, um, before we before we go on break and, and record, you know, the second half of what we're going to do here, I do want to get into the gameplay just a little bit. And I know we're going a little bit over an hour here, but God, we got to talk about the gameplay before we, um, you know, on this first part. Okay, so gameplay as far as Majora's Mask goes, obviously, it's gonna the base gameplay is going to be extremely similar to Ocarina, um, more so than other games would 
you know, are. But the uh, Ocarina gameplay would then afterward come to be the formula of succeeding 3D Zelda titles, uh, including, you know, The Wind Waker and Twilight Princess and even Skyward Sword. Uh, not It wasn't until Breath of the Wild that they really started to shake things up quite a bit. B- but... <laughs> you just wrote bagels on the itinerary. What? He just wrote bagels on the itinerary and, and it popped up in, in real time for me. <laughs> but, okay, what... Uh, well, I mean, let's hear it from y'all, okay? What specifically is different about Majora's Mask from Ocarina of Time. There's there, there's a lot that's very, very similar, but there's a lot that's very, very different and different from everything else, right? Well, um... Besides the Ocarina... big giant fucking moon, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, in Ocarina of Time, Hyrule Field is just this giant open area where you can run and explore, and Lon Lon Ranch is in the middle, but Hyrule Castle is on the far, uh, I guess you would call it the north side. North side. Mm-hmm. Northwest, you know? Um, because of where the sun sets and all that it's on the end and once you get there on the other side is the castle and the right where you meet the first great fairy but in majora's mask clock town is in the dead center of the map and everything um like stone tower temple uh oh god oh no zach don't forget the names of the dungeons it'll matter later great bay stone tower snowhead and woodfall woodfall okay yeah um in my most recent playthrough i got to uh great bay but um, Clocktown is in the dead center, and all of the places that you have to go are at a specific part in the map. And I love being able to traverse these different areas at one specific time, come back, kind of take a breath of fresh air, play that ocarina, reset the days if you have to, and then continue on to the next. I love being able to do a chunk of stuff that you have to do. Like, let's say you go to uh, the Woodfall Palace, and you take care of all that stuff, and you do the temple, and you go through the dungeon collecting all the little fairies, and you have to come back and kind of reset yourself. I love that. I love that Clock Town is kind of like a base of operations for you. Yeah. And I, that's how I've always looked at it. And I love that, you know. it's It kind of lets you know that certain areas are accessible. Other areas are far too dangerous and you're not ready for that yet. Instead of it just being all in one giant condensed area. I love that sense of separation. And it has always been one of the appealing factors of the game to me. Yeah, I love the the geography of Majora's Mask, uh, uh, someone with OCD, I mean, the, the symmetry of it just really appeals to me. I like how the entire map is basically a compass. You've got Clocktown in the center, you've got Snowhead region up north, Econa Canyon in the east, Great Bay in the west, and Woodfall region in the south, right? And then you've got Termina Field surrounding the Clocktown um, and, and those different regions that are very geographically different as well. I mean, you've got a swamp area, you have a mountain area, you have an ocean area, and you have a canyon area, and they're all thematically different. And I, I really think that there is a lot of the world building that goes on because Termina is the setting of, of Majora's Mask um, rather than Hyrule. And so it's obviously going to be very, very different. And just within the, the small portion of this game, they managed to completely build this world for you and show all these different uh, races and areas. And I guess we're kind of getting more into the, the story segment, which we'll, we'll save for later. But um, I do like love the map of Majora's Mask. Uh, wh- what about you, Megan? What sticks out to you with Majora? With Majora, um, especially because, you know, like as, as I've mentioned, you know, I'm such a heavy fan of uh, Ocarina. 
Um, I, I, I do agree with you. I do, I do love the symmetry um, of the map. I like, uh, I also want to piggyback off of Zach. I was going to say the same thing. It's almost like a base of operations. It's, it's the only place that you feel safe while you can figure out what your next step is, while you can kind of plan out what part you want to do yeah. next, um, which I really enjoyed, especially because me, like, I, it, it, when it comes to, you know, games, you know, I'm very much a completionist and, you know, you know going back into the game, especially after playing, you know, games like Mass Effect, games like, you know, um, you know, Final Fantasy, you know, there's points that you want to get to, there's points that you want to finish so you get everything correct. And uh, I love that I could kind of go back, reset, kind of empty my mind, and get back into the next part. Because this game, you know, like I've said, it's the most difficult game that I've played just because it makes your head go so many different ways. And you're like, yeah. what do I want to do next? And you can kind of go back and get into it. And I love how, how dynamic um, every different part of the map is, like you had mentioned. I love that there's diversity throughout the map. It's not just one thing. You know, like for me, you know, I, I do love whenever games have different, you know, different territories, different sections, different, you know, areas of terrarium and things. And I, wouldn't, I don't want to say terrarium, but almost... Um, different environments you know um and yeah it's, it's so intense to kind of be able to go from you know uh from swamp to mountain to you know snowy and it, it's cool to be able to go through different types of that especially for a game of the you know this this time it was it was huge for its time you know like even with you know ocarina you know it's all set in kind of the same area you know it gerudo's a little different and you know like uh, of course, when you go underground in all the caves and all the things like that, and especially, you know, in the mountain, you know, it does change a little bit, but it's not as much as this game. So I love how much this game can physically change while still all feeling cohesive in the same, especially for being done in under one year. I think it's it's so amazing how Nintendo was able to pull that off. It was so intense. I keep saying intense for this for this game, and I feel like that's kind of how, how it, it spells itself in my mind. Um, and I just loved how different the gameplay was because i you know i i loved everything about ocarina you know it was you know positive you know there was a sad moment you had to fight the big ugly fat bad guy you know but then you also had you know majora where it was just like this impending sense of doom you had to do different things you have the giants you have this big fucking ugly moon just staring <laughs> at you <laughs> at all times it's always visible no and like i don't know if y'all notice this but like if you're running around the map, I don't know if, if it's later versions because I did play a later version. The eyes follow you. Ooh, yeah. Oh yeah, they do. I'll imagine that. And that <laughs> that's one of those terrifying aspects, man. And another like... thing that they, another way they add dread to the game is, of course, you've got your timer on the bottom, letting you know what time it is, how much time yes. you've got left. But once you get to like night or the next morning, everything stops, and like it, the camera zooms out from Link and just stops, uh... and then it gets black, and it says. The dawn of the first day. Yes. Like, it gives you that sense of, yeah, 72 hours remain, 48 hours remain, 24 hours remain. <laughs> yeah, and then and just you're just like, okay, once you... closer, so his big-ass ugly grin is just getting... And you're like, stop, stop, go away. Yeah. Oh, no. Looks like the Magusta face, kind of. <laughs> At that point, you're wondering, like, this dude's kind of moving in slowly. Is he just going to, like, tap Clock Tower and just sit there? But oh, no, if no. you wait until the end... And yeah, it's because I have chosen to sit and wait until the very end just to see what happens when the moon hits Termina. Yeah. And it's just this giant, it's like a nuclear blast almost, and it just wipes everything out, and you're immediately sad. And my first thought was, why, why did I let that happen? <laughs> you know, Matt, Matt Pat did a whole video on actually why, based on the, the size of the moon, as we can see, it actually wouldn't have been as catastrophic as it shows in the game. You gotta leave it to the game theorists to ruin everything for us, but <laughs> you could just say it's magic. I, I love his video on, on the the predominant fan theory. 
um, which we'll we'll talk about in a second here, or with you know with Link being dead and all that too. But um, yeah, like what you were saying, that the three day in game time limit. That's the major takeaway here. Okay, that's what's different here from Ocarina of Time. That's what's different from every other Zelda game and or games in general. I was about to um, say this is its own game. I've never seen another game like this where you're timed to do everything. Not only timed, but time travel mechanics. You know, and there's some games I think like uh, Blinks the Time Sweeper kind of gets into a little bit. But and there was that game that came out uh, on Xbox Quantum something. Quantum Leap. Yeah, it, it has Quantum a Leap. kind of. Um, I, I'm, I don't know if we've ever done one on this, but I, I definitely do hope we do an episode on, on that game because it's, it's amazing. The mocap on it is, is stunning. Um, and, and so is the, the actor himself. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I literally just saw him in SWAT the other day. Um, he looks like a mixture between Chris Pratt and Michael C. Hall. He kind of does, yeah. Um, but, but that game, you know, it, it, it changes so much with time and you have to go back and move forth. And, and playing that game, it honestly did remind me a little bit of Majora's Mask just because you're playing so much with time and it's moving and everything is just kind of impending and it's coming at you. Um, but it's nowhere similar to this timed sequence like Majora's Mask is. I've never, and especially, you know, being, being a, a huge, as y'all know, a huge storyline fan. Um, I, I'll play a storyline game before I play a social game, not even sorry. Just now got into No Man's Sky. Um, Same. Um, getting to play all these different games on all these consoles, because I, I, I have no preference. Gaming is gaming. Um, uh, <laughs> getting to play all these different storyline games, I've never seen something as incredible as a three-day timeline, where it's just this sense of being a hero, but also like saving the world at the same time in its own sense, which is just unfathomable to me. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. I, um, yeah, Majora's Mask actually predates all of these and I haven't seen a game quite go, I think to the length that Majora's Mask does, but maybe I need to play more games, but I don't think a game before Majora ever did this. I think this was the original, um, obviously Ocarina of Time has time travel mechanics and, and those really actually do factor in at, at different points. I like that there's, um, alternate realities and causal loops going on in, in, in Ocarina, but, um, <laughs> but the Majora, it's the central mechanic, okay? And and I think, it, you know, like you guys said earlier, at the head of its time, it was a game that really implemented that really well. Because not only do you have a time limit, but you have the ability to reverse time and reset the cycle um, by playing the Song of Time, which, by the way, is the only way to save the game in the original version. Um, and Because there, there are these owl statues around that allow you to save and quit, but once you reload those save files, it deletes them. So they're only temporary saves, and you have to quit the game when you do it. Um, the 3DS version ended up making those save and continues, and I'll talk about how that changes the complete tone of the game um, later. But that was one thing, is that you know you planned all the shit you were going to do in one cycle. When you sat down and played Majora's Mask, you were going to sit down and you're going to play a three-day cycle, and you're going to plan out exactly what you're going to do. And it forces that strategy for the player. Okay, I'm going to accomplish this, 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 and this. You know, once you get to the point where you open up a temple and open up the warp point, okay, let's go ahead and reset time. Let's give ourselves a whole cycle to do uh, a dungeon. So you have that aspect of the game. And in the Japanese version, by the way, doesn't even have the owl statues. Or it, it has them for warping, but doesn't have the save and quit option. You had to just... The only way to save in the original version was was playing the Song of Time. And it's the only true way to save in, in, the, um, in the international version. In addition to that, the Song of Time can also be played um, in reverse to slow down time. Obviously necessary, I think, to really 
do what you need to do in any cycle. So you play the inverted song of time to slow down time to at least a uh, half time in, or a third time in the original, half time in Majora's Math 3D, another change I'm not as happy with. Um, and then you also can skip forward in time by playing the double song of time, kind of taking on what the sun song did in Ocarina, but obviously you're skipping ahead. And there are reasons you may want to do this. You think, if I want a time limit, why would I want to skip ahead? Well, the entire game runs on a schedule. Every NPC in the game, like you guys mentioned earlier, there are certain things that happen at certain times, and you have to remember those things. And God bless the 3DS version for adding a reminder feature. That was a good idea, but um, you had to kind of write things down and remember things. And so the entire game runs on a schedule. Every NPC does a certain thing at a certain time on a certain day, and, and it just really adds this aspect to the game. Like the entire game is running on clockwork. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, to, to <laughs> no pun intended. Back up of you, um, I do like that this game is so strategic because, I mean, Zelda games in general are pretty strategic. I mean, you got to plan out how you want to do things in the dungeon, um, especially if you don't have enough item, you know, space. You know, you do have to plan what items you're going to take with you, what items you're going to use. Um, and I like that this game was really, really strategic, um, that you had to plan everything. You know, and me personally, I'm a very big strategist. I use lists for everything. I have to plan everything I do. I have certain time, you know, it's, it's you know, part of, you know, who I am. And I love that I could just, you know, go in and be like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is what we're going to do today. That's it. And that's it. And then you go and do that. And then you're like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to set the game down. I'm at this time. And I literally had to write a note for myself on the cartridge. I'm at this time on this day. So I remembered where to come back to. Yeah. Just, just to, and just to clarify, three days of time is 72 hours of in-game time. Um, which is about 50 more, 54 minutes in real time, give or take, um, un, 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 uninverted, unslowed down, normal flow, okay? So you have about, um, say, let's see, 90 minutes to, what's 54 times 3? <laughs> uh, wait, 90 minutes is not right. 52. Okay, yeah, you have, oh, sorry, 108 to 162 minutes to really get everything that you need to get done um, within a single cycle. So whether that's completing a dungeon, whether that's completing a side quest, because there is one side quest in particular that takes the entire three-day cycle and you have to do it twice to do everything that you have to do in it. <laughs> you know, you, you got to get done within that, that amount of time frame. And so it produces this, like I said earlier, this anxiety, this stress that just isn't in any other Zelda game or really any game at all. You just constantly feel the pressure and, and the doom of, of what's about to happen. <laughs> yeah. Now, when you reset time using the song of time some things do get to come with you so any like dungeon items that you've obtained masks things like that those stay with you what what resets though is all of your ammo like your arrows bombs your currency your rupees and any items that you have like inside of your empty bottles um, which i guess wouldn't be empty but um although you can actually throw your rupees in the bank, and that's essential. If you want to save up rupees, you need to make sure you throw them in the bank before you reset time. And then when you come back, the <laughs> the rupees are there. Don't ask me how, but they are. My personal theory is that the stamp that the banker puts on your head is the exact amount of rupees that are owed in your name, and that's how they remember. Probably. <laughs> Wait a minute. We haven't seen you before. Yes, you have. I just reset time. Because <laughs> <laughs> they'll do that. He'll do, Let me check. Oh, you're scruffy, blah, blah, blah. You're Link, and you have this many rupees in the bank. I think they, they stamp that on you. And that's that's my personal, that's my headcanon. Because <laughs> otherwise it doesn't make sense. Yeah, Man. that's what I'm thinking too. Yeah. 
but all, all progress towards dungeons and the story completely restarts. You start over, dawn of the first day. But there are certain items and events that will allow you to, like I said before, to move forward more quickly. For instance, when you complete a boss, when you complete a dungeon and you defeat the boss, if you return to that dungeon, you can go fight the boss right away. And that's important because um, there are certain events that are only going to be available. You will, you will at certain points have to refight bosses. So there's no boss rush mode needed here because at any time you can refight those bosses and you will need to to complete certain side quests. Um, there are certain things that only happen whenever that dungeon area has been completed. So you just all you have to do is go back to the dungeon and you can instantly fight the boss once you have hold their remains. Yeah, and once you get the well, we'll talk about the the mask of all masks later on the mask of all masks i think that this is a pretty good point to go ahead and cut this in half yeah absolutely okay so I, I, i'm gonna take a little break i'm gonna get a little bit of lunch um this is gonna be part one and then part two is also gonna be available i think i'm gonna try to release them back to back since we're a little bit late on our schedule anyway but normally one of the ways this is gonna work is we're gonna be releasing these parts bi-weekly so um, this this is the point where we're going to go ahead and cut it off. It's something new that we're starting in season three, two part segments, two hours of recording, and I'm really excited about it. So um, let's get some lunch. Let's get ourselves refreshed. I think my daughter's here, so I'm going to see what's going on with her and we will recoup. All right. Sounds yes, good. sir. See you soon. Uh-huh. Collateral Gaming is an L Company production. All music and game clips are owned by their respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor. <laughs>